Good morning. Welcome to River Oaks. Welcome also to those of you joining us online. It is so great to have you with us today. I'd like to say welcome back to our team that was in the Dominican Republic last week. We're so glad you all have safely returned from a short-term mission trip there. Great to have you all back today. We're going to be continuing our study of 1 Corinthians this morning. If you were with us last week, the Apostle Paul in chapter 8 was talking about the need for Christians to be willing to give up our own rights and preferences for the sake of other Christians who might be offended by the exercise of some of our rights. This week, the Apostle Paul is going to uh, refer more to himself, and he's going to talk about giving up some of his own rights in order to gain a, a more open door for the hearing of the gospel by those who do not yet believe. Before we get into chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians today, I'd like to, like to ask you to join me again for just a moment of prayer. Would you join me, please? Father, we are gathered today as your people in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded, Lord, that this is a week that is in many ways, uh, for many people, a difficult week because they've lost a loved one. And Father, I want to pray this morning for those who are grieving, discouraged, or depressed. And I pray the words of Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Lord, would you please make your nearness known to your people today? Would you rekindle hope and love and joy and every good thing? And as we come together today, Father, to worship you, and as we now open your word to hear what your word says, would you open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your law? And we pray again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Apostle Paul begins the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 by reminding uh, the believers in Corinth that he's an apostle. He emphasizes the fact that he's an apostle, as you see in the verse on the screen. He writes to them, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The word apostle, as it's used in the New Testament, means one who is sent. Jesus' initial 12 disciples, of course, had a special calling by him. He sent them out with his message after they had been trained uh, under his discipleship. The Apostle Paul later, not having been one of those 12, actually saw Jesus in a vision on the Damascus Road, was appointed as an apostle. But it seems that some of the people in Corinth were criticizing Paul. Now, Paul was the apostle, the sent one, who had first brought the gospel to the city of Corinth. It's recorded for us in the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 18. Paul uh, was the trailblazer, the one who took, took the gospel to them at the very first. The church began to be formed after he had gone and preached there. But one of the issues Paul dealt with throughout his ministry as he traveled and went to churches and went to areas that had never heard the gospel 
It grieved him from time to time to hear of problems in the churches that he had helped to establish. When Paul enumerates the sufferings that he went through in life, the hardships, the beatings, the scourgings, the floggings, he includes among them this, the care of all the churches that comes upon me daily. He felt a weight of the churches. And it was made worse because people came into some of these early churches uh, attempting to, to criticize Paul or turn people against him. And he loved these Christians dearly whom he brought to faith. So it was a hardship he dealt with. But apparently, in writing the Corinthians, he had to defend himself just a bit and emphasize that he was the apostle. He was the one that brought the gospel to them. He goes on then to emphasize his rights as an apostle. He writes this, This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Interesting little side note here. The apostle Paul, as he's defending his own right to, to get support from the church, and, and to be as the other apostles are, he happens to note the brothers of the Lord. Now, if you've ever read through the Gospels, you may recall that in the early chapters of the Gospels, like Mark chapter 3, Jesus' siblings were mentioned. Some people are not aware that Mary and Joseph had children after Christ was born. Jesus had some brothers. And it seemed at first that they didn't believe in him. But now, after the resurrection of Christ, when Paul is preaching, apparently these brothers of the Lord are now followers of Christ, serving him. One of those, by the way, is believed to have been James, who wrote the book of James. Paul continues, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living, who serves as a, as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Paul's just making the case to the Corinthians because there were some that had arisen to criticize Paul that he and Barnabas had a right for their support. But then he goes on. He emphasizes his choice to give up his rights as an apostle rather than hinder their receptivity of the gospel. He says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do we not, do not we even more? because he was the one that brought the gospel to him in the first place. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But he continues, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. The Apostle Paul is simply emphasizing to the Corinthians he was willing to give up his rights for their support, so that the gospel would not be hindered among them. Now, the question may arise at this point. Did Paul ever get support from the churches where he visited, where he preached? Certainly he did. A number of his letters, if you read the letters of the Apostle Paul, he will thank the people for their support. In fact, one of the best known 
is his letter to the Philippians where he writes back to them, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But Paul's point to the Corinthians is that he was willing to give up rights for the sake of the gospel. And I think that is one of his main points in this chapter. Now, as we continue to look at chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, we're going to get a glimpse into the Apostle Paul, the missionary. I don't know if you've ever thought about the Apostle Paul that way. We read all the letters he wrote to the church, and we think of him as a great teacher, great preacher. Uh, we know he was an apostle, a sent one. But listen to these words that Paul writes about himself in the book of Romans. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. In other words, Paul is saying, at the heart of my calling from God as an apostle is the calling to go to people who have never heard the gospel before, people who have not been reached. And as the rest of this chapter unfolds, <clears throat> we get a, a, a glimpse into Paul's passion for taking the gospel to people and experiencing whatever he had to experience in the way of hardship for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. And so this is going to be a little bit of a, a, a world missions message this morning. For those of you who are new, this will be a little bit different from our typical going through a chapter. I'm going to share a number of accounts of missionaries this morning, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to recommend some resources to you along the way. But first, we're going to look at Paul himself, Paul the great missionary. One thing we see about Paul is that <clears throat> Paul was willing to endure hardship to make the gospel accessible to others. He writes, but we endure anything, anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Whether in Corinth or going to unreached areas, Paul was willing to endure sacrifice, suffering, hardship to make the gospel <clears throat> accessible to others. When I think of enduring hardship for the sake of the message of the gospel, I think of a man named Adoniram Judson. Adoniram and Nancy Judson <clears throat> were two of the first missionaries ever sent out from North America to another distant part of the world. In 1812, they were sent from North America to... Um, well, initially, their intention, southern India. One of the best classic missionary biographies I've ever read, and I recommend it to you highly, is this book called To the Golden Shore. It's The Life of Adoniram Judson, uh, written by Courtney Anderson. It's a, it's a lengthy book, but if you're up for reading a great biography and getting a glimpse into the real hardships of pioneering missionary work, going into an area where the gospel is not present, where there's no scripture in their language, learning the language, translating scripture, this is a great account. It's a book all about endurance. 
the word endurance is almost synonymous with the name of Adoniram Judson because of what he endured to bring the gospel to the people of Burma, modern-day Myanmar. I want to read a letter from this book. It's a letter that Adoniram Judson wrote to the father of the woman he wanted to marry. Her name was Nancy Hasseltine, and this is the letter Adoniram wrote to John Hasseltine, her dad, asking for her hand in marriage. Listen and see if you've ever heard any appeal quite like this when asking for someone's hand in marriage. He writes to her dad, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. How is he doing so far? But now he puts a spiritual pressure on this man. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? Eternal perspective. He lived with this vision in view of eternity. That's what enabled him to make the sacrifice. It was the same for the Apostle Paul who wrote, Set your affection not on things on earth, but on things that are above, for your life is hidden with Christ in God. Like Judson, Paul was willing to endure anything to make the gospel accessible to others. Secondly, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that he saw himself as a steward, one entrusted with the gospel. The word steward is an important word in the New Testament. Jesus uses the word in his parables. A steward in biblical times was a household manager. Uh, a, a large household might have any number of servants, but the steward was the servant elevated to an oversight, managerial role over the other stewards, managing the household. The steward was not the owner, however. The steward was entrusted by the owner. In the same way, Paul saw himself as entrusted with a stewardship, this message of the gospel. He felt a responsibility to be faithful because a good steward is not focused on rights, but on faithfulness. Paul's point is that God had entrusted him with a mission, and he planned to fulfill it despite the sacrifice required. Now, Paul did anticipate reward for his faithfulness. That's why he said, if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But when I think of Paul's willingness to do what he did despite the cost, there's another missionary that comes to mind, and I want to recommend another somewhat lengthy missionary biography to you. It's not as well known as Adoniram Judson's, but it's one that I read recently and I thought it was fantastic. 
John Payton, or John Patton, was from Scotland. He was born in 1824, and he died in 1907. And in Scotland, he trained at medical school. But in his church, his Presbyterian church in Scotland, he heard about the needs of missionaries. He was also training in being equipped in ministry. And he felt God was calling him. And he felt God was calling him to some islands that were known in that time as the New Hebrides. Uh, The New Hebrides, I I think it's an area near Australia that today would be better known as uh, Vanuatu. And um, I thought it was really interesting because in reading his account of his calling to use his gifts to reach totally unreached people, people who had no message of the gospel, and people who were cannibals. In these tribes at that time, there was, there was constant warfare and cannibalism, people eating one another. And so uh, John Payton writes, and this book is an autobiography, a bunch of short chapters that he just records what's happening in his life. He writes that lots of people tried to talk him out of going, Christian people, people in his church. He writes these words, among many who sought to deter me was one dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument always was, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. At last I replied, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. The old gentleman raising his hands in a deprecating attitude left the room saying, after that I have nothing more to say. He said, many people grieved at the thought of my leaving and daily pleaded with me to remain. Indeed, the opposition was so strong from nearly all, and many of them warm Christian friends, I was sorely tempted to question whether I was carrying out the divine will or some headstrong wish of my own, but conscience said louder and clearer every day, leave all these results with Jesus your Lord, who said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and lo, I'm with you always." These words kept ringing my ears. These were our marching orders. Like Paul, saw himself with a trust, calling from God, stewardship. This was kept Paul going, what kept the Apostle Paul going through beatings, scourgings, uh, hardships, shipwrecked, rejection by people. Thirdly, Paul the Apostle, we read in 1 Corinthians 9, saw himself as a servant, servant to those who needed the gospel. He writes these beautiful words, though I'm free from all. Paul knew there was grace in the gospel. He was free from the need to please people. He was freed from the need to keep laws, religious laws. Though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul willingly chose servanthood in order to reach people with the gospel. And in here, Paul was just being like Jesus, who said in the Gospel of Matthew, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul is saying that he was willing to give up his rights to live with his own cultural preferences and adapt his ways to reach people with the gospel without, of course, compromising the gospel. In this respect, I'm reminded of another missionary, one who made great, great sacrifices to serve, to serve others, and her name was Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was from Northern Ireland, and she lived 1867 to 1951. She was a missionary and an author, and she spent over 50 years in southern India without ever returning home. Her main work was with low-caste children and oppressed women. Uh, her family had been an affluent family. She went to boarding school, but she felt this calling to serve the most uh, oppressed and the most poor, and so she did that in southern India. She wrote quite a lot, and she was known for her emphasis on God's love. There's several uh, good biographies of her, one written by Elizabeth Elliot that might be the best known. But this is the one I read. It's called Beauty for Ashes by Ian Murray, and I would recommend it to you. She wrote a little booklet called If, about the love of God, and uh, all the chapters, the, the little phrases she uses begin with the word if. She writes, for example, if I have not compassion on my fellow servant, even as the Lord has pity on me, then I know nothing of Calvary love. So the love of God, like with Paul, compelled her to, compelled her to go and live differently, to serve people who were different from her in order to help the oppressed, the downtrodden, rejected one other thing we see about the Apostle Paul, that is this. Paul's highest goal was the salvation of those without the gospel of Christ. Notice the, the references, the number of times he uses in these four verses the word when. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. So he, he is equating win them with bringing them to salvation that they might be saved and brought to faith. And he, and he summarizes in the next verse you'll see on the screen, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. This is Paul's heart, for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel, I'm willing to forsake anything. I'm willing to give up my rights. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to endure. I'm willing to take this stewardship from God. I'm willing to serve others. This great trust from God, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Paul's passion was that people be saved. And he knew that people who had no access to the gospel in the unreached parts of the world, and there are roughly two billion of those in our world today, that they needed to hear the gospel. They needed to hear the gospel. 
I want to recommend one more missions book to you. Uh, this one is called Swift and Beautiful. And it is uh, by David Calhoun. Uh, for those who don't want a lengthy biography, this is a collection of short, 10 chapters, short biographies, men and women, most of whom I had never heard of before, but an excellent little book. They're stories of faithful missionaries. And uh, my favorite chapter is the account of a man named James Bryan, uh, Bryan, B-R-Y-A-N. He died in 1941. And he was not a foreign missionary, but he was a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama. And um, he was known, became known in Birmingham, Alabama as the minister of the sympathetic heart. Because this man, rarely have I read about anybody with more uh, zeal to reach people with the gospel than Brother Brian. By the way, grew up in South Carolina, went to school at the University of North Carolina, went off to seminary at Princeton in the days when there was great biblical teaching there with only a dollar and 85 cents in his pocket. Somehow, he and his family never had a lot of wealth, but God always provided for him. And when he got to Birmingham, his focus was on praying for everybody he could pray for and sharing the gospel with everybody he could share with. And particularly, he had compassion for the poor and downtrodden. In 1920, the Birmingham News gave an award to a person that had done the greatest service to the city of Birmingham, and a committee of people nominated 53 names, but by unanimous vote, they chose Brother Brian, as he was known to the city. As one person wrote of him, he's the most beloved man in our city. He is the noblest, sweetest spirit I've ever known. When the stock market crashed in 1929, a lot of people were taking their own lives. And uh, Brother Brian put an ad in the Birmingham newspaper and just said, if you're thinking of ending it all, please come see me in my study. Gave his address and everything. In the following month, 25 people came to visit him in response to that ad with whom he shared the gospel. He prayed with countless people just countless numbers of people. It was said that he only kept two books in his, in his study. Uh, one was the Bible and the other was a phone book. And one writer suggests that Brian's telephone probably carried more prayers each day than any telephone in all the world. It's said that he was the only man in Birmingham who could walk into any bar or pool room and say, let us pray, and every head in there would bow in prayer. <clears throat> The um, a Birmingham newspaper reported something I thought was great because he would just constantly come up to people and, and, and say, brother, let us pray. Let me pray for you. Um, the newspaper reported during a rush hour one day, a young woman was in a great hurry uh, down the sidewalk, but she got stopped at a stoplight at the corner when it turned red. Uh, being angry, she said loudly, oh, blank, and let out a word of profanity. A hand touched her arm gently, and she heard a quiet voice saying, Sister, let us pray. O oh Lord, give us both patience to bear with these traffic lights. Amen. One day, Brother Brian was robbed by a man with a gun. He took the minister's watch and the small amount of money he had, and then was astonished to hear Brian say, Brother, let us pray. When Brian finished his prayer, the man returned the watch and money and fled. 
One day, Brother Brian approached a policeman directing traffic. Are you a Christian, brother? No. Brother Brian stayed and shared the gospel and soon led him to faith. In his last minutes on earth, he said to his son, so many people, so many people without Christ. He was so beloved by the policeman and the firemen of the city that for his funeral, the hearse used was a great big red fire truck. Like the Apostle Paul, his highest goal was the salvation of those without Christ. You know, you and I are told to follow Paul's example as he followed Christ. And we read these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul calls believers to imitate him. He picks up the theme in the latter half of chapter 10 of rights again, and he summarizes it this way. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to Greeks or to the church of Christ, church of God, just as I try to please one in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. And we may think, well, that's just for apostles, right? Just for missionaries, just for ministers, right? No, Paul says, be imitators of me. Imitate my example as I imitate Christ. We're told to follow Paul's example as he followed Jesus. And Paul was an incredible ambassador for the kingdom, but he was a mere human with sin and failures. Jesus, however, was perfect. Fully God, fully man. And here's what Jesus himself says. Jesus said to his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. You don't exert your rights over everyone. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The Greek word for ransom is the word lutron. And it, it, it has to do with the price of release. Uh, releasing us from something. You and I, through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, were released from something if we put our faith in him and accept what he has done from us. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, says it this way, since therefore the children, that is you and I, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he, Christ, might destroy one who has the power of death. We might be released because of the ransom that was paid from the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death was subject to lifelong slavery. As we seek to follow the other first example of Jesus and of Paul, the giving up of our rights, the sacrifice, the endurance let me simply say that doing those things, as good as they are, doing those things is not the way to salvation. The way to salvation is simply to receive what Christ has done for us, to receive what he freely offers. Jesus willingly gave his life and he calls us to respond in humble faith, acknowledging our sin and our need for him. 
as John the Apostle writes, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. That's what he calls us to do. If you've never done that, if you've never transferred your trust from your own efforts to be good enough to get to God, to what Jesus alone can do, could do, did do for you, I would urge you today to put your faith in Him, in Him alone for your salvation. Two questions by way of personal application as we prepare to close. The first is this. For those of you who have accepted Jesus and are Christians, do I see myself as a steward of God and a servant to others for the sake of the gospel? Is that what my life is about? The stewardship, this trust from God to take the message of the gospel to other people, to my family, to my neighbors, my friends, my co-workers. Secondly, is there some step of faith that God is calling me to take for the sake of the gospel? Some step of faith. Maybe it's to reach out to a neighbor, go, go visit some shut-in, ill, elderly neighbor. Maybe it's to take a short-term mission trip like the folks did last week who were in the Dominican Republic. I'll recommend a couple of other things in, in the way of educating yourself more about the need for world missions. One is to go to the best website I know of to learn about the unreached parts of the world. It's called the joshuaproject.net, joshuaproject.net. There you'll find that approximately a quarter of our world's population, roughly two billion people, live in what are not merely unreached people groups, but what they call frontier unreached people groups. They're people groups where fewer than one-tenth of one percent of the people are Christian, and there's almost no chance that a person there will hear the gospel from someone in their own people group. It will require cross-cultural missions. It's an excellent website. The next is from uh, the EPC website. And in your bulletin today, in the lower left-hand corner, if you've got a paper bulletin or if you're looking online, you'll find all the info here as well for the Kairos course. This I highly recommend. If you're able to take it in the new year, it'll be on nine consecutive Tuesday nights. It's an online course, two hours a night, costs about 100 bucks. I, I, I think it will be a rich opportunity to, to take the equivalent of a, of a course uh, in world missions. Recommend that highly. And again, the info's in your bulletin. Finally, the books I recommended, if you want to look at those once again or take a picture of that on the on the screen up there, if you're interested in reading one of those uh, or, or giving or getting one for a, a Christmas gift, perhaps, uh, I think it's a great way to learn about uh, missions and the price that some have paid to carry the gospel to others. Would you join me now as we pray? Father, thank you that we live where we've heard the gospel. Jesus, you said this message of the kingdom 
the gospel shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. So we know, Lord, you are waiting for this, longing for this. We ask that you would make us faithful stewards, Lord. And Father, I pray you do something in each of our lives today. For any who don't yet know you, that this would be the day that they come to place their trust in you alone. For those of us who know you, that you would awaken us to the urgency of the need to spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we pray in your great name, Lord. Amen.